really do actually love our visitors. Just want to bet on the record. You know, when I walk around and greet you during the worship time, I pay attention to things, and when I hear a common theme or question, like, you need to have a good sermon today, uh, I pay attention to that. But there was another one that floated up today at every single section, and that was the related to Blue Dog and the, our church. How do we decide who's going to be up here and what's our philosophy? So I wanted to just say a word about that. You know, uh, you've heard me say many times that, that I think my gifting has to do with teaching. I hope so. If not, I'm in the wrong place. And uh, I love it. I just absolutely love getting up here and talking to you about the Word of God. But I've said many times that you could actually do what I do. If you wanted to devote your life, like Mark, me, and Stefan, you could figure this out. But that's not who you are. So you pay us to be a gift. We get to be a gift. We like that. It's no different than when we invite bands up here. You see, one of the privileges we have that you don't get to see very often is that an hour and a half, two hours before you get here, they're all up here setting up, and so we get to be here and listen to the conversations between them with every band. Same with our own musicians back in the building. We get to hear what they're talking about. We get to hear them talking about things that are important to them, and every single band that's up here has some things in common. One is they're talking about the Lord, You see, here's how they think about it. It's the same way I think about it. The way they think about it is, this is our gift that we get to bring to you. Am I right? That's how they all think about it. It doesn't matter which band's up here. I could highlight them all. That's their conversation is we get to bring a gift to you. Some are a little more participatory, and I know some of you like that because that's where you come from in your churches. Some are not quite as participatory. They want to show you what God has, has created in them. So I was sitting up here listening to them before you even got here. Just their practice sets caused me to stop and just say, wow, thank you, Lord, for this incredible talent. This is a gift. And so all of us up here, that's our philosophy. We are bringing to you a gift. Am I right? Yeah. Let's tell them thank you. Now, what are you doing up here? I'm just stalking you. You're stalking me. Okay, good. (laughs) This is Stefan, our student ministries director. Uh, I understand. I heard you talking the other day that over at some place, there's an obstacle course. Yeah, so at Woodward at Copper, there's this thing called the rectangle. The rectangle? Where you get wrecked. Ah. <laughs> it's also in the shape of a rectangle. Is that why you go there? You're like your dad, aren't you? Have you seen your dad over here with a cast? Yeah, we just go there to get wrecked like my dad. I'm trying to get a blue cast to match, but I haven't gotten it yet. <laughs> so the rectangle is like a ninja course. If you right. guys have seen like American Ninja Warrior, it's like obstacles. The first obstacle is like the plates where I should probably stretch before I do this. <sighs> okay, don't want to get hurt. You like jump it. across and you keep jumping, keep jumping. Then there's a net and the person before you go, they bless you and say, oh, the Lord have mercy on your soul. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> I've seen people taco and just break their ribs and like hit the wall. They just bounce into the wall and then just keep hitting the wall. 
So there's the jumpers, then there's a net, you have to roll over the net. And then there's like these spinning discs, I call them the spinning mushrooms of death. And so you have to go across those, you jump on one and you spin around, you're like, oh no, and then you go for the other one. Usually you flop right off of them. Then you gotta swing across some like monkey rings, and then you go on this hanging climbing wall that's really hard to do, and you jump across and you're going on the climbing wall. Then there's spinning punching bags of death, where you have to run on a balance beam and they hit you and knock you right off. (laughs) And then there's a wall with trampolines where you tell little kids, okay, go for it, and they just go, whoop slam into the wall, <laughs> and then you go jump higher, and they go, whoop and they hit it harder, and then they got to climb over it. Then there's a zip line and the warp wall, so you got to get all the way through, and then at the end is a minotaur. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> now, for some of our folks who are a little bit older out here, why do you do this? <laughs> Good question. Because I think it's because the ninjas are always right behind us, chasing us. <laughs> chasing you. Okay, that, what do you call the circle of death? The spinning mushrooms of death. Oh, yeah. We have one of those up at the park here. Yeah. So I brought my grandchildren here last weekend. Guess where they all headed? Right to that. <laughs> what is that? Blood and guts. Blood and guts. <laughs> They're probably wondering what in the world this has to do with the sermon. It's, <laughs> totally. it's got to be the best sermon. I've already been told that. <laughs> Thank you. You got your work cut out for you. <laughs> work it out. We're nearing the end of our summer series where we're focusing on the image of, the, the, well, we're talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about the image of being out of the cage, that when you turn to Christ, the cage door opens. But you have no idea how to live life. You were actually created to live in freedom. As Paul said in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so we have stepped out of the cage, and uh, we need the Holy Spirit. There's no other way to navigate life outside of the cage. So we've talked about you've been given life. There's no more condemnation. You've been freed from death. We've talked about all these things, and we've talked about the, all the various metaphors and images that we can put in front of you as you step outside the cage. One of them is that, you know, your arm is kind of asleep, and then when you start to move it, blood starts to circulate, and it becomes very uncomfortable. And there's that whole metaphor, uh, stepping out of the cage as Christians. We become more and more aware of the true brokenness of who we are as individuals, and not just as individuals, but we're in really good company. We fit together in a community of people that are all trying to figure it out, all trying to solve that. So today, I want to talk about a a portion of this stepping out of the cage, which has to do with the obstacle course, or a way through the maze, a way through the obstacle course, because you didn't step out into just green fields. That's not the way it works. Two Sundays ago, three Sundays ago, we turned the conversation toward community because in Romans 8, these are all plural imperatives, plural pronouns. We're now talking about the church. When you step out, and this was last week, when you step out of the cage, you step into a family, the church. That's us. So you heard the passage read today. I consider right off the bat, This is the first time he uses this verb. 
in a first person. He's saying, this is what I believe to be true. And this is a very strong verb. I consider with conviction, I know that this is true. I know that it is true that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now think about where we ended last week, the very last verse before this. If we are children, and we are, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. That's verse 17. If indeed we share in his sufferings, which we do, the reason we share in his sufferings so that we may also share in his glory. And I concluded last Sunday with the idea that Romans, I mean, uh, uh, Philippians 1, uh, 29 says that for to you, plural, to us as a church, it has been uh, God's grace that we believe in his name, but even more than that, that we suffer for his sake. What's this suffering about? And then he says that I'm absolutely convinced that these present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And then he surprises us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Why does he go there? Why there? He's talking about our sufferings leading to glory. Oh, well, let me throw in this idea about creation. You know, I love reading commentaries. If you've ever been on my library, you understand that. Uh, they're fun. They're fun. They're, they're my community. I know a bunch of the authors that have written them, and I get a chance to listen to people's perspectives. It's no different than sitting and having coffee with somebody and say, tell me your thoughts on this passage. Well, I pick up a commentary. It's the same thing. Tell me your thoughts on this passage. In fact, I often grab a cup of coffee while I'm doing it. Um, the reason why I love reading commentaries is I get to hear so many diverse opinions on ideas. And it's really a surprising, astounding to me how scholars have wrestled with why does it go from suffering to creation? Why that? What has that got to do with our suffering? <clears throat> it's really hard for us to answer that, especially up here. Look out there. Where's the suffering? Where's that? I hit the jackpot when I got called to this church. I have pastors all over the country that are in various places. I'm not going to mention the names other than Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Alabama, Missouri, New Mexico. No, I'm just kidding. They don't see what I see. So how on earth is this tied to our suffering? There's a strong connection. You're going to have to follow with me here. So no matter which side of the political divide you're on, on environmentalism, just sit tight. Okay? I have people up there counting how many of you leave before the end of the sermon. We do take names. Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. And he says, so our, our suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed. And the reason is for that one little word. The reason this is true is because the creation is waiting eagerly for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. 
Creation was subjected to frustration. Do you know that word, frustration, is the opening word to what we think of as Ecclesiastes? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. In the Greek Old Testament, this is the same word. Frustration, frustration, all is frustration. And what does Solomon do? He goes on and talks about, I tried everything. He was the richest king in the world. Everything that my eyes looked at, I purchased. And what was his conclusion at the very end? Fear God. It was worthless. It was all worthless. This is that same word right here. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. You see, the same word is used back in Romans chapter 1, except this is a verb form. In chapter 1, where he says, Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. They were frustrated as humans turned away from God. Starting with Adam, but you're all guilty. Don't blame Adam. You're all guilty. As we turned away from God, part of the curse, if you remember Genesis 3, was on the earth. It was on the earth. So, the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one, that's God, who subjected it. Why? Because of us. It's not creation's fault. It's our fault. It's our fault. I love the, uh, by the way, in the Summit Daily, thank you for 30 of you pointing it out. There's a fantastic article in the uh, paper today about our church and our Jeep club. It's worth reading. Taking a look at how they, how they portray us. And they portrayed us, I thought, very positively. But what got my attention was the opening, the main headline, Experts plant 1.2 trillion trees to save climate future. Want to save the world? I love this. I love this. This is how it starts. Want to save the world from climate change? Planting a trillion trees is a start. Keep the waters clean. I'm going to surprise you. There's not a thing we can do to fix the problems of this world. Oh, we can get things better. Look at this. But this is a tenth of one percent of the whole world. Travel with me. I'm going in two weeks to Mozambique. Travel with me to Nepal. Some of you have been to Haiti. Been all over the world. Okay? Don't we have concerns? Europe. They're really struggling with acid rain from all the third world countries upwind. Every place I go, I go to Nepal. The river's flowing down the water. They're full of sewage, dead animals. I have pictures. I have pictures of, of a cow in Hinduism. That's a god. A cow in a river, and there's, there's uh, three uh, Hindu disciples. One is dipping water out of the cave. The water is very dirty. There's a dead animal floating behind it. There's sewage in the foreground, dipping water, pouring it over the cow, which makes it holy. There's another one underneath the cow collecting it, and the third one's drinking it. We have a gorgeous place. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. I just want you to know that this is not the rest of the world. 
And here's why. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of God who subjected it. And that's because of us. It's because of us right here. We are the ones. And he did this. It's, it's in this situation in the hope, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of God. No, no into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's us. That's us. It's not creation's fault. It's our fault. And I'm all in favor of planting a trillion trees. When I was in uh, elementary school, we planted trees. Same thing. Let's save the world. I was in elementary school. Let's plant trees. Interestingly enough, when I was back there last time, all those trees are, well, they're pretty tall. And there's a whole bunch of them. And I wondered which one was the one I planted. Did it save the world? No, it didn't. Listen to what's coming. In Isaiah, one of the great, great prophets, right at the end when the nations are being scattered, okay, and they're being confronted by their sin, God gives them a picture in Isaiah 11. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. That's going to happen. The leopard will lie down with a goat. That's going to happen. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and the little child will lead them. This is going to happen. The cow will feed with the bear. Can you picture that? Cow alongside a bear? Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. This is a picture of ecology. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. Now listen to this next verse. They will no longer harm or destroy. That's us. That's us. That's coming. That's coming. And I would argue that it's already partly here, not because of our politicians. It's here because if anyone is in Christ, they're already part of the new creation. This should be a central tenet of our theology that we care very much for this creation. If we can't show the way, then what we're saying to the world is this earth is not that important to us. That's not Paul's argument, nor is it mine. He says, it was subjected to frustration by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated. And that's what I just read to you, that messianic promise in Isaiah that it will be liberated from its bondage to decay. He goes on to verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth. Okay, now listen to Isaiah 24. Right after that one. Listen to what he says, because he gives us a description of what present day life is already like. Life is like. The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. The heavens languish with the earth. Wow. Wow. That's strong words, isn't it? 
This is our creation. This is what we love. Travel around the world. You'll see this. It's everywhere. The earth is defiled by its people. This is what happens with sin and brokenness. I asked the students in Nepal, what would it be like? First of all, what would it take for you to clean this all up? And they said, oh, it would take a change in, the, in, in our cultural thinking. Now you understand why Christianity is important. It's not part of Hinduism. It's not part of Buddhism. Those are the two reigning religions in Nepal. They don't bring that. Christians do. So I have this picture uh, that I took. The church, the Christian church is right on a main street, and they have all these in front of them, all these uh, shops. And so their portion of the main street, they rent four shops to four Christians uh, that they can earn a living. And so from here out and from here out, there's pollution and crud everywhere. And the, the, the one in the middle where the four are, they built a little bridge over the flowing sewage. So these four shops are spotless. So I went across the street and took a picture. You know what I saw? These four shops have hundreds and hundreds of people in the shops, and the rest of them are empty. There's something in us that wishes things were different. Something that wishes things were different. So here's a description of the rest of the world. The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. The heavens languish with the earth. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statues, broken my covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth, and its people must bear their guilt. You have to suffer with it. Therefore, earth's inhabitants are burned up, and very few are left. That's a picture of the world. That's a picture of the world. And he says... Not only so. No, he says, we know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who gave the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption of our bodies, the adoption singular of our bodies, plural. This is the church he's talking about here. We're yearning for this. You see, the answer isn't in politics. Oh, they could help us. The answer is Christianity. The answer is Christianity because the curse is God's judgment. Oh, we're the ones that create the mess. Don't make a mistake about it. That's us. But the answer lies with us. Now, why did I put this away through the maze, away through the obstacle course? Because when we get out of that cage, here's what happens. Man, we got a mess to clean up. That's what? We have a mess to clean up. So I asked my students, they said, what do you think it will be like on the new earth? And I said, well, I don't know this. The Bible doesn't answer the question. But knowing God's character, I have a lot of very exciting possibilities. One is that the very first thing God does is he says, all right, I gave you a great earth. And look what you did. You messed it all up. Job number one, get it cleaned up. And I said, imagine with the technology that we have flying over to Nepal with a whole bunch of people and saying, let's just pick up the trash and litter and clean up the waterways. And all the students in Nepal started applauding. That excited them so much. I can't prove that from the Bible, but I can tell you that what we do as Christians makes a difference. It makes a difference. Lay the politics aside and realize that the answer, the hope that we have, is because we are turning to Christ 
and he blesses us. That's what makes it happen. For in this hope we were saved. But the hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we have, we wait for it patiently. In other words, we're persevering and we're chipping away. We're chipping away. We're not giving in. We're not giving in. Just like that church, they have four stalls. That's all they could do in their culture. Four stalls. But boy, does it make a difference. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes through wordless groans. Okay. If you go all the way back to verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation. Verse 23, we are waiting eagerly in expectation. We wait for it patiently. Verse 25, boy, there's this eagerness going on with us and creation at the same time. We yearn for the same thing. God, make it right. Fix it. We are so connected to creation. That's what's in Genesis 1 and 2. Love creation, serve creation, restore creation. Don't use that word. I threw that in there. That's our job. Now, if you lived back in the first century, these words would be startling to you. Many of these words, several of them, it's the first time they appear in history. But it's certainly the first time this idea appears. You see, they had these coins that had Caesar on the coin. He has his foot on the globe, and there's, and there's light beams shooting from his head to demonstrate glory. The Caesars all promised a return to a glorious age. Boy, something's never changed. Remember the church in Rome? They're at the valley of the seven hills where all the sewage flows. They have to live with this creation, this destroyed creation every day of their life. That's why Paul starts here. It's a world they could grasp. And he's saying, don't believe the Caesars. It starts with us. Don't believe our politicians. It starts with us. And then he goes on and surprises us. But this we do know for sure, that in all things God works. Some of your older translations say works together. I actually think that's a better translation because that verb is almost always translated that way. I'm not sure why the NIV changed this. But God works together. Together with Who? us that's that partnership with the spirit when the door opens and we as a church we enter into a new family and we begin to navigate this obstacle course which is captured most clearly by creation this is the starting point not the ending point we have messes all over the world don't we we're divided every which way you can think of It is an obstacle course for the church, but we have the Spirit to guide us together through that. God works together for the good to all those who love him, who have been called. It goes all the way back to Romans 1. Paul was called. The Gentiles are called by faith. That's us. This is the church. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. There we are. That's where we're headed true humanity. We can look at the life of Jesus and we can see what it means to be a true human. That's where we're headed together as a church. And part of that true humanity is caring for what's precious to us. You know, the founding principle to any effective environmental policy is private property. 
When's the last time you rented a car and you changed the oil before you turned it back in? No, the foundation for any effective policy is private property. Israel was the first nation on the earth to grant private property. The Old Testament. Every little family got their plot of land because God knows if it's ours, we will take care of it. This is our earth. And we should, as a church, figure this out. He goes on from there. The reason is that we can be conformed to the Son is so that we, he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's the firstborn, but we learned last week that we are co-heirs. We are the secondborn. We represent him to the world. And our policies on environmentalism ought to be, ought to be at the center. I am so grateful to be part of a church. Yeah, thank you. Part of a church that we recycle we have LEDs everywhere. In fact, uh, <laughs> uh, Bob Vanderkoy, evil man that he is, comes up to me and said, how do you think, this was several months ago, what do you think about putting in uh, LEDs, uh, like you know, energy saving? I said, I'm all in favor of energy conservation. I'm not a big fan of LEDs, but go ahead, do it. And he said, okay, so if I could convince you that LEDs are okay, you'd be fine? I said, yeah, we're sitting in my office. He said, so should we start with your office? And I go, sure. And he goes, well, these are all LEDs. <laughs> what? And then he says, how about your kitchen? What? Because we live in a parsonage. He changed the lights out in the kitchen. Changed them all. Everything. I forget what the savings is. Energy conservation. I think it's a great idea. I'm proud to be part of a church that practices this. But I want to do more. I want to do more. He finishes this way. Those he predestined, that's the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now look where he started. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. And now he concludes almost as if it's past tense. He also glorified. You know why? Because that's how God sees the church. He already sees us this way. Already. What we're learning to do is live into that reality. And that's what it means to open this door to this cage. We step into a family. We belong together. And we have to navigate this amazing obstacle course. And it starts with our own world. It's not our world's fault. It's our fault. We're the one that messed it up. We're the one that messed it up. We're going to come back in just a minute. We're going to read this together. But listen to the words as we enter into our final part of our service. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That's us. We can show the world what they're so desperately trying to figure out in everything from relationships and marriage to environmentalism and creation and everything in between. The new creation has come. That's our role. Father, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for so many things.